Okay, welcome to the Picky Bastards podcast, episode 39. This is a music podcast where we pretend we're discerning, but really we're just full of hate. I'm Nick, <laughs> and I'm joined by Fran. Hello, Fran. Hello, Nicholas. How's it going? I'm all right, thank you, yes. And Matt, how are Glad you, Matt? I you full of hate. I'm always yeah, full I, of hate. Morning. I, I feel full of love today. Oh, you don't fit in at but all. Maybe not now. for you guys. We'll see. <laughs> not love for us. Maybe not for nice. the albums. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So today we'll be talking about four new albums, um, a classic, and I will be introducing one genuinely great artist. So our albums are The Avalanches with We Will Always Love You, Rap Fiera with Bob's Son, Girlhood, Girlhood, Viagra Boys, Welfare Jazz. Our classic is Deep Purple's uh, Machine Head. And I will be introducing a playlist of the immense Jimi Hendrix. So we're going to get started with a question for Fran. Uh, which album would you guess was the hardest to produce and was it worth it? Okay, well, yeah, I think there's a pretty obvious answer to this question. I think it has to be We Will Always Love You by The Avalanches. Um, I think it's such a complex, multi-layered album. It's got so many elements to account for in the production process. Um, samples all over the place there's a host of guest vocalists to integrate and they use so many different sounds from different genres in the music that to knit it together in this way i think must be incredibly complicated um and to have all these elements to consider and yet to come out with such a clean and crisp sounding album all the way through i mean something that feels really close and really involving is very impressive i think so in terms of whether it was worth it i would say yes I think that anyone who is a big fan of the Avalanches will be extremely happy with this album. I think, you know, the debut came out in 2001 and they've only had one album in between that, I think. And I think this ticks all all the boxes from that debut. But I think it also feels updated to the present day. So in terms of those, so in those terms, really, I think it's got to be considered a success. I can't imagine many of their fans fans being disappointed. Um, But while I admire the debut i wouldn't really go as far just to call myself a fan so my my reaction to the album as a whole maybe wasn't as enthusiastic as many of us will be i think um when i first heard it on the first couple of lessons i thought i was really gonna fall in love with it i thought i was gonna really enjoy it um kind of reminded me of a dancier version of the everything is recorded album that i love so much from a couple of mm, years ago yeah. on the podcast good analogy, yeah but I did tire of it pretty quickly in the end. I think it's a bit too long to keep me hooked. Um, and there's a, ended up with a lot of songs I wanted to skip. Um, I particularly wanted to keep getting to the, the highlight for me, which is Take Care In Your Dreaming, the track with Sampa the Great. And is it Denzel Curry, is it? Um, I, can't I can't remember who else featured on Maybe. it. Maybe. So it's got a few people. I think it might have Tricky on it as well. I've, I love that song. It's fantastic. And I think, yeah, there's a few really good songs. Um and I'm impressed with it as an album on a technical basis. I think it's very well made and I can imagine people loving it. And there's a few tracks on there that will probably go onto my exercise playlists. Um, it's very energetic, but in the end, I got a little bit bored of it. Um, I didn't really want to go back. So that's where I ended up, I think. Okay. What do you think about it, Matt? Um, so I'd classify myself as uh, Avalanche's fan and I was very, very satisfied with this. Um, I really so I enjoyed. Right. Yeah, yeah. For for oh, once, nailed it. Nailed it. The the kind of dreamy like nature of it is just really spot on. It it has a way of just carrying you uh, with it. I I get what you mean, Fran. Where it does seem to it does seem to go on quite a while, but because mm-hmm. of the style, I didn't find actually find that a problem. 
I felt I, like I said, I was just carried along by it. Um, I, I agree with all your points about all these disparate artists. Like mm. looking at the name list, it feels like almost like you said, everything is recorded. The other one I, I picked up was Gorillas, and surely by the fact that you have all these very diverse artists being put into the same place and then making something coherent that isn't mm. yeah. um, necessarily what they'd normally make either. Um, and I thought it just it felt very much summed up my mood of this this year because it had this kind of optimism to it, but really? with melancholy as well. <laughs> wow, that seems like yeah. a major turn there. Because um, because I I feel like twenty twenty one at least for me has been punctuated by this news of positivity and people mm. being hopeful about. Mm everything going on coming to an end but also a lot of reflection at the moment because it has been a year since uh the pandemic yeah, started yeah. Mm. and so it for me that it kind of encapsulated that feeling in a, in a nutshell um and to me it's, it's the most i've actually listened to an album we've covered in a while I, I i put it in the same category not necessarily in quality but in the amount of times i've listened to an album as 22 a million and joy as an act of wow. resistance mm. um pretty much because that's how annoyed my wife is getting at the amount of times i've played it <laughs> i can imagine if you don't imagine. like this album it would get very annoying to hear it that much mm. yeah 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 but yeah, I'm yeah, I'm very happy with this. This was a, a really nice addition, and I, I'm excited we got to engage with it for so long for the podcast. So um, for me, uh, it was it was so fun. This album, I, I can't say that it reflects 2020 in any way. I don't see that analogy at all. But 2021 now, mate. It's yeah, or, or 2021, yeah. neither one. But um, but yeah, so. Um, as far as it was just such a fun album that even MGMT, who I despise in general <laughs> didn't put me off uh, in fact that divine chord song i think it is the fourth track on the album which they're yeah. featured on uh, was actually a great track uh it yeah, was it's kind the worst of a, one on the album yeah it's really good it's a light sort of sunny it's terrible it's terrible did you say it's the worst one on the album oh i thought you said it was, I <laughs> no. thought it was the best on the album okay no 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 there's yeah. some really great backing vocals on it can't stand them jmc so i think that's my problem I know. There, but yeah well that's the thing off. i allowed myself to listen to it before i saw who all the features were um, and then I, then I noticed that I'd made the cardinal sin of, of liking a song by MGMT, uh, mm. which shouldn't be permitted. But um, yeah, so <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, it's so sort of sunny, uh, sort of mid-tempo, soft dance music. Um, and I think in a way that's the best thing and the worst thing about it because it's, it's amusing. Uh, I mean, by, I don't mean funny, I mean it's, it's entertaining, but it's not really setting the world on fire for me. Um, and I think as Fran was suggesting, it's, it's really long. I mean, I think it's mm. one hour 11 um, which is, seems to me to be overkill, even for an album which is sort of mood, smooth sort of mood music as this one is. So, um, yeah, it sort of lifted my spirits um, a little bit in the darkness uh, of the lockdown winter. Um, but it's not, uh, one thing as well, it's certainly not as good as the, uh, is it Since I Left You? Is that the na full yeah. name of the first one? Yeah. yeah. So I actually did a blind taste test that, that our editor Tom Burrow sent me for that one, and really liked it, and I don't think it, it compares to that one. Um, so it's kind of a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, you know, I'm glad I got to hear it. Um, I don't know, I'll go back to it that much, but there's one or two tracks I'll definitely pull out uh, and you, and listen to again. So yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Cool. cool. Um, so yeah, um, Matt then, uh, which album would you guess was the easiest to produce, and was it still any good? Um, so the easiest to produce, I think, was Viagra Boys with Welfare Jazz. Um, okay. 
And the reason I'm saying that is because it has a very ramshackle nature to it. The production quality seems very low. I don't know enough about production to know if that's really the case, how much effort will go into making something sound. It would be a lot of work to do that, couldn't it? I see what you're saying, yeah. But I think obviously having this kind of like low sound or low quality sound, obviously it's an obvious choice for them as a band because they are essentially a punk band and they want to have that vibe. Um, I I don't think that vibe is a detriment to the final product. Um, But I do feel in a lot of points I was quite disappointed with the album. Um, I think I've listened to some of the other albums in the past, and I think lyrically this one, like normally I don't focus on the lyrics of of songs and albums, but with this it was hard to kind of avoid. Um, I felt like it was a, a step backwards, because I think like punk should be obviously fighting against whatever system there is, um, but this just felt like he, there was a lot of like misogynistic tropes just in this that it was hard to avoid. Like, I feel, I, I feel like he'd be the type of guy that uses the like the um, phrase "old ball and chain" and stuff like that <laughs> okay. to refer to his wife. Okay, because it just it just didn't. Uh, sit well with me a lot of the times he was talking about and um, how he can't be contained or restrained as if that's the the job that um, his partner would have um, <laughs> um but, but i don't know and then yeah maybe i'm just old <laughs> well you're actually not you're just let's old. just be clear on that um, i'm not old and therefore you're definitely not old okay older mm. But it just it, to me, it just felt like uh, most of the time he's kind of egotistical, showing off. It felt like a toddler who who was just like thought he was really cool. Mm. And <laughs> was just showing me his new toy, and I'm just like, get like cool, <laughs> great. I feel like this um, assessment has changed from being like it was okay to being pretty damning, really. Over like <laughs> no, three or four minutes. What's the, that's the thing. Like lyrically, I just got I got really frustrated and I couldn't listen to it. Um, but I actually thought there was a lot of catchy riffs, a lot of parts about musically that I enjoyed. I just found it hard to listen to, and um, for the other reasons. Okay. So that's me. I'm going to just leave it that. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll jump in then. I think on this one. Um, yeah, go for it. So. I would say that is it ain't nice. I think is is one of the tracks in the middle of the yeah. album. Okay. I think that's yeah. definitely yeah. the best song on this month's playlist as a single track. Um, it's really on the, kinda, on the whole playlist. Well, not not including the Hendrix, obviously, but in terms of these albums, yeah, I think it's the best. That's track outrageous. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of on your head. <laughs> it's it's kind of dirty, rough, catchy, and really amusing as well. Um, it's got that whiskey-soaked, drunken attitude, which I, I think is pretty hilarious, and makes me wonder to what extent. I mean, I, I'm totally speculating. Um, this that sort of tone that you got from him, Matt, uh, is is an act or not? Whether it still would be, you know, still be problem, problematic anyway. But I'm just interested. Um, but yes, there's the, like there's lyrics like um, I've got a collection of vintage calculators. If you don't like it, then babe, I'll see you later. <laughs> Which I just thought was, <laughs> was amazing. Um, so yeah, it's in a way it's kind of an irresistible album, and it's actually like the Avalanche in that sense. Um, but the album's kind of high points are spread around. Um, uh, there's some tracks uh, like Creatures, uh, which are, which was pretty good, but there's also quite a lot of filler. Um, uh, there was a track into the sun I thought was just a little bit irrelevant, unnecessary, um, and that's where the sort of sheen of the drunken rock and roll falls a bit flat. 
Um, so I'll, I'll probably will keep an eye out for this band again, um, but at this particular album, I'm not sure I'll go back to, except for Eight Nice, which I really liked. So, so Fran, what do you think? I'm, su- I'm surprised. Yeah, I can't really figure out what's going on in terms of like Eight Nice being the best on this playlist, and yet because every song on this album sounded like the same song to me um okay. it was it a good like, song no um <laughs> it's a song that kind of there's a bit of a theme weirdly with me on on quite a few of the albums on on this list in that i when i first heard them i didn't i kind, I kind of thought i liked them i was i was expecting to like Viagra boys i know you chose it matt but it was on my shortlist yeah. to pick because um because i'd heard things i'd heard good things about them they're, they're coming up at a time when a lot of you know these sort of punky post-punky bands are about and there's a lot of good stuff around um so i was excited for this one but it just it's it's a mess um and it's it's an odd album i mean i'm i'm not sure why he's so obsessed with dogs um <laughs> so many songs about having a dog and wanting a dog and and moving to the country to have more dogs and there's a song just called to say though isn't it meant to be a mess i mean don't you think well what in what well, sense do you mean a mess maybe it's just how you define that term i mean Albums can be a mess and I can kind of get on board with it because it feels like there's intention in it and it's it's still enjoyable. But this just didn't feel like it had any intention. They didn't feel like there was any intention behind the album to me. It just felt like um, very thrown together, I suppose, more than a, maybe that's a better way of putting it than a mess. Yeah. It felt very jumbled. Um, and it yeah, it didn't feel like, you know, nothing grabbed me. Um, I would say that possibly the worst song on this entire playlist is Ain't Nice. Um, I hated it. I really hated it. I really hated the way he says it ain't nice in the chorus. It gets to me. Um, And then what's the song with the dog? What's it called? There's one creatures he talks about having a dog and then there's one called I Love My Dog or something. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I wasn't into it. I wasn't into it. And the more I listened to it, the more I disliked it. So when Matt was talking through his notes earlier and he went from this, like, yeah, this was okay to by the end slagging it off. Mm. That was kind of, that was a mini version of what happened to me while I was listening to this album over the month. I went from thinking it was all right to really thinking it was the worst one on, on this. Well, the second worst one on this list. Mm. Second. That's going to be interesting. I think I can guess that, but anyway, we'll see. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm just, yeah. I just, I, I don't, th- I don't know. The this, the viewpoint of this drunken rock and roll star just doesn't appeal to me anymore. Mm. Uh, sounds like okay. a prick, doesn't he? Yeah, it's, I, like, I wouldn't, <laughs> would never want to meet him. And <laughs> yeah. it sounds like he's just really lazy about his music making. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's interesting, isn't it, about this type of music actually? And that's, I think, that's part of what went wrong with this for me is that a lot of the music that's coming out that's that's in the same vein of this at the minute. The, they're not doing that sort of I'm a rock star thing. They're not doing that I'm really cool and I love dogs. I mean, no one's doing the I love dogs thing. <laughs> but, but they're not doing that thing that he's doing on this album. And that, that's why a lot of those albums are quite intriguing and interesting at the minute because they're actually, you know, I, you know, I've had my ups and downs with idols, but if you look at what they're doing with their music, they're very, you know, when they're talking very openly about mental health and stuff like that, whereas this guy just wants to be cool. I did struggle with that. Talk about Maybe dogs. think of Josh Hom a little bit. It's interesting because uh, I hate dogs, and yet I still didn't get that from this album as being problematic. So oh, that's, no. uh, I've obviously missed. I don't like there. dogs either. That's the problem there. Um, just so everyone knows, I love dogs, and ah. so you you shouldn't just leave this podcast because yeah, of the dog hate. One out of three <laughs> when <Fuck> surveyed. <laughs> so cats, the, so cats like, forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cat person. Cats are good as well. You can just everything, Matt. Think, everything. I think animals are great. 
I'm a big fan of monkeys, if, if we're going to carry it's on pe- talking about... Yeah, let's maybe move on to some music, like shall it's we? Pe- it's people that suck, right? <laughs> Those yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about, since we know where we're going with the later, what, what's the least favourite, let's talk about our most favourite um, of the remaining ones. Um, so, Fran, why don't you go ahead again this time? I think I would go um, with... Do you know what? This is interesting because... We obviously had a bit of a break. Um, we had to postpone the podcast for a while. Yeah. And if you'd asked me this when we were first going to record, I definitely would have gone for R.A.P. Ferreira. Mm. But when I listened to them back through the other day, I kind of leant towards um, towards girlhood a little bit more. Um, so it's a strange one because, like I mentioned, with both Viagra Boys and Avalanches, I really liked the girlhood album when I first heard it. I was really quite into it. And I did start to go off it a little bit the more I listened to it. Um, but what was interesting to me is I, you know, I hadn't listened to any of these albums for about three weeks um, when we had the break, and I put this girl, I put them all back on this week, and the one that I was really into was Girlhood. So I think maybe I just needed a, a break from it a little bit. Maybe I'd listened too much. Um, but yeah, I think I really enjoy the simplicity of this album. I think it's quite sparse with the instrumentation. She's got quite a unique voice. Um, I think the lyrics, you know, there's, there's a tendency to be maybe a tiny bit cliche at times but they focus a lot on strength and, and womanhood and and sort of you know feminist leanings I think is quite interesting um obviously that's kind of implied in the, the name of the band and the okay. album um and in some ways it reminded me of the Terza album Devotion that we covered oh, yeah. a couple of years back um an album which is just continuing to grow on me really I love that album and um, I think it has a similar feeling of sort of sparseness with a few moments of like real euphoria that come out um so yeah i mean i did find myself so i'm torn on this it'll be one of those that i'll i'll need to go back to because i having had that break i would have said that i fell less in love with it as time went on but maybe it's just something if i listen to it every now and then instead of as much as i do when we're doing these podcasts i'll, I'll get into it I, the things that maybe made me go off it a little bit though were i did think it ended up blending blending into itself a little bit um i think that that's partly down to her voice being slightly limited. I think it's a good a good voice, but it doesn't have a lot of variation. There's a bit of a limit. They're also slightly limited by their setup. I think, you know, you can tell it's just a two-person band, and I don't think that's always a negative, but I think it does limit their ability doing this kind of music to change it up across the album. Um, but, yeah, in general, I think it's a good, you know, to very good album at times, and I think there's some real standouts. I think... Milk and Honey is a fantastic song. I think Keep On is really good. So yeah, I'll, it's one I'll have to sort of keep listening to to be sure about, but I definitely enjoyed it. Okay, who wants to go match? you want to go? Shall I go? Yeah, I, I can jump in. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I found it interesting, some of your points, Frank, because I felt almost a similar uh, feeling when I re-listened to it. Initially, I was thinking, um, is it R.I.P. Ferreira or Rap Ferreira? Whichever one. I just called it Rap Ferreira, but I've no idea if I'm right. R.A.P. Ferreira. R.A.P. Ferreira. So initially I was leaning towards that, but then um, on re-listening to this, I I, I know I, I enjoyed it when I listened to it, the f- like the first time, and I know I listened to it a lot, but at the same time I found it quite almost forgettable. Um, and I guess that maybe feeds into what you were saying at the end there about it kind of merging into itself. Um mm. But then when I actually like sat down and I was like, oh, I need to, I'm going to write a couple notes about this and really like, really just sit and listen. Um, I realized how many of these songs I just really, really enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I felt like I, I knew. Um, 
Um, and I just, in total, the album just really came across when I was really um, actively engaging with it. So it's, I guess, if I'm not, it allow it allowed me in the past to be more passive with it, as opposed to demanding my attention. And but when I gave it my attention, it was uh, really rewarding. Um, I think the other point that you were making, Fran, about the the voice being limited, I I thought the way that they, um, yeah, she has a she has a pretty good voice, but I think the way they used the voice throughout the tracks was really really interesting because, um, they changed up how the voice was recorded quite a lot. I found like there were times where it felt like um, she was almost eating the microphone. <laughs> and then other times she was like sat really far back and they were doing similar things mm. with the backing vocals as well. I think that that's clearest on um, bad decisions, but I think it just added a bit more atmosphere to it. And I hadn't heard of that being used quite so in such a pronounced way. Um, yeah. Interesting. That I, that I remember. Um, but overall, yeah, like this was, I think, a really, really solid album. It's a kind of album I feel like I could recommend to almost anyone and they'd like it. Mm, yeah, that's that's an interesting point, actually. Yeah, I can't see anyone, well, we'll see what Nick says in a minute. Yeah, exactly. I can't see anyone sort of despising <laughs> yeah. it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, you went all over the place with that, Matt. I, I mean, it's fine because it's just the narrative of it, but you were like, I, I, I didn't like it. I thought it was repetitive. I thought it was forgettable. Then I really liked it. Then I wanted to recommend it. <laughs> it's like, bloody hell. I, I, I couldn't work out what you, Yeah, well, you didn't, you didn't fail, you fail to pin it down, it seems like. But anyway. Um, yeah, so for me, um, yeah, I wasn't really impressed with this at all. Um, I thought, forget. I wrote forgettable as well. Um, I also wrote repetitive, uh, flat, um, predictable. Uh, I just thought it was, it was really. Um, initially, I think when I first heard it, I thought it was a little bit like the Avalanches again, and that it was quite energizing. Um, mm. But it, but over the course of that time, it just it just seemed very tired, very very quickly. Uh, and it's it, I haven't got a ton to say about it because I, I just feel like it, it just sort of slid past me. Um, I thought the drums in it were put me off somewhat because they were they were ultra clean in most of the tracks. I felt like um, to the point of sort of driving me away because obviously I'm into broken darkness basically in my drum pass <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really want to hear ultra ultra clean all the time um, mm. for a whole album um, so yeah no that was that was a problem for me uh, so I definitely wouldn't be going back and uh, uh, this would not be my pick for favourite of the of the rest of the, of the set so um, yeah so that's it I've, I haven't got a ton more to say as I say it's just just um, yeah too too forgettable for me to, to really dig into so Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, uh, so that leaves us with I mean, two you liked left. Eight Nice, though. So. Sorry, say that again. You liked Eight Nice, so... Yeah. I did. Yeah. Very much. It's... Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a catchy song. It is. <laughs> I'll give it that. Thank you. I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, okay, so I'll start one then. Uh, only two left to talk about. I think we'll talk about Deep Purple. Um, mm. And it's good, actually, that we'll talk yeah. about it because... I think um, maybe I can redeem it f slightly from the complete uh, drubbing that it's about to receive from the two of you, I would guess. Um, it's so interesting, this album came up in the same month as, as Hendrix. Um, it's only yeah. a couple of years different uh, in time. And I've, I have been really back and forth on my thoughts about it. Um, in some ways, I think it can really easily be written off as just a kind of cliched, 
dull and, and not even very heavy, which is what it's really shooting for. I think it's to try and be heavy and dark, and it's not even that heavy. Um, I think it is meant to be like a, a rock, a traditional rock album that's trying to push yeah. the bounds into something heavy. Um, and also, I think that the sort of there's a kind of sense of it being these kind of, for me of this being these kind of macho guys trying to prove how tough they are, um, mm. which is really oh, I wasn't interested in. Um, mm. But I want to cast my mind back and, and give it a little bit more perspective into the early 70s when, uh, from my understanding, metal was trying to sort of find its feet. Um, and in those sort of terms, I think you can see this album or this band as being a kind of fledgling attempt to try and get towards metal, um, like with hammer-ons and power chords and things like that. Um, and all that stuff uh, is was necessary in the in the movement to get towards genuinely what I would consider to be heavy or dark music, um, and it, and therefore it's sort of necessary even if I wasn't into it. So I, I'm not saying I would go back to it. I, I, that's that's not the case, and I'm not saying it's like Hendrix in any other sense except for its date. <laughs> um, but uh, I I do think it's it's an important album in a way. It's worth hearing. Um, I'm glad we covered it because I, I feel like I needed to know a bit more about what these early metal bands were trying to do. So yeah, so now um, now the two of you can rip it to pieces. So Matt, why don't you go I mean, first? I'll, I'll jump in. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, fine, yeah. Mine's actually it. almost the exact opposite view <laughs> of yours um, in terms of I didn't think it was worth listening to or relevant or um, because maybe it's because I'm not interested in that genre. I'm not interested. You're talking about you found it interesting because it's it, it was necessary to create the music that you mm. quite quite interesting to these days i'm not interested in that genre of music mm. and i could see no reason to listen to this album so if i'm being totally honest mm. I, I didn't really listen to it much <laughs> at all um i think that i only got through the whole album in in whole in in one go i only did it once mm. um and then every time i tried to go back i would just run out of patience very very quickly um I, I couldn't see the point in spending the time getting to know it because it's largely everything I don't like about music. It's really overblown. It's really over the top. Um, like some of the classics we've done, I can really, even if I didn't like them, let's say uh, Neil Young, for example, mm. I could see why I would spend time trying my best with that one and trying to figure it out because it. I know that it's part of something that's important to me. You know, it's a big, it's a big part of music that I care about, even if I didn't like the album itself. But this album just did nothing for me in that respect. I couldn't spend time trying to figure out what it had influenced because it just influenced loads of stuff that I probably would feel the same about if I listened to it now and I don't want to hear. So um, <laughs> I don't want to say a lot more because I, don't, I couldn't really make myself listen to it a lot, so I don't feel like I can be a total um, critic on this one other than just to say it was powerfully, powerfully not for me. Um, and I hope I never have to hear any of it again. Okay. That's pretty clear cut then, Matt. Yeah. Um, I have a completely different opinion to both of you. Oh, wow. <laughs> How is that possible even? <laughs> Triangulating well, the opinion. You just thought I, it was amazing. You thought it was the best album ever. Not quite. Not quite. Um, like, I I don't really have the, the historical perspective to where to place this within, because I don't really listen to that much, like, classic rock music. Um, so I don't know where what it came before or what it came afterwards. Um so all I could do was take it at face value. And I have to say, there were parts I quite enjoyed. Yeah. I, I I had a lot of fun with the intro, the like beginning of the album. It just comes on pretty strong and is very kind of relentless, relentlessly simple as well. 
it's it doesn't require um you to have a big brain to be able to really engage with this um <laughs> which is perfect for me and i i just so you basically do have a big brain <laughs> so that seems yeah. weird to me I'm as a phd, PhD grad and all that lot yeah so well i've been using, <laughs> using it up a lot at the moment fair, um, enough, fair enough but uh, yeah i just couldn't help but bounce my head along to a lot of the songs but like especially at the beginning um because it, it just it was very it was a, it's a very simple like four piece band right they're just they're big big riffs like big drums uh, and it, like that voice is just sounds like he's making classic rock right right um but i think the, the thing that kind of is the main drawback is um well actually i don't know if it's the main drawback the, the album as a whole isn't really that good. It's fun. It's superficial. Um, but I, I at one point tested like how how often am I just listening to like riffs going on for days or mm. guitar solos going on for days, and I'll just move the track around <laughs> on Spotify <laughs> randomly. I I'd rarely hit vocals, mm. and so that like that was the big thing for me. It was like, so do the these songs care about lyrics? You always say, well, but. But there's no divert like because they're such simple songs. Mm. It's not like the avalanches, right? With all this multi-layered, like five parts in a song, and it's a bit unfair, right? Before and, Hendrix as well. <laughs> yeah, played as yeah, well like Hendrix, Hen- yeah. exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It, considering these were three years apart, or like or a couple years apart between Hendrix and this, it just it's a world apart in the talent and skill. But it's a it's if it's like. Uh, like cheap, easy, and does does the job. Cheap, oh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> the, the big in terms of longevity as well. The difference, I suppose, listening to Hendrix now. I mean, we'll talk more about that soon, but it doesn't. It still feels like music that's that's worth listening to now. But yes. um, yeah, deep people. Well, I can I can understand Nick's point about maybe at the time this was something interesting and it, and it started something or it had a it had a role to play. But listening to it now, it just feels like. Smoke smoke on the water still has a longevity, right? Mm. I I still remember being in high school and just hearing that. And yeah, but its longevity is that it's easy to learn on guitar. That's its longevity. (laughs) It's that that something that kids can learn to play on guitar. That's the first song that my niece learned to play when she was eight. So (laughs) it's not longevity. It's not got longevity because it's good. It's got longevity because a pig could play it on a guitar. (laughs) Oh my god! What? Yeah. I, I would just want to distance myself from that last remark on Fran's part for anyone listening. Uh, it's not well, that simple, just because we're not like Hendrix, but still. I learned how to play it on guitar, and I'm terrible at guitar. Same, same. <laughs> I can play it on guitar. <laughs> I never actually learned it, but yeah, I'm sure it's... I'm, I'm pretty sure, sure your son played it to me when I came to your house as well, Nick, so <laughs> everybody can play it on guitar. Right, okay. It's like nine notes. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so are we done with Deep Purple? Yes, that's that, isn't it? Yeah. So it only leaves um, the RAP, uh, Fiera. Uh, and Scallops Hotel, I just want to put out there. No one has said Scallop is RAP Ferreira and Scallops Hotel, not just RAP Ferreira. Okay. I always get that one when there's two but, people, don't I? Yeah. But it's not, it's one person still, right? It's just his alter ego mm. is also Scallops Hotel. No. No? Really? Person. I, yeah. I was reading about this. And I, 
I sw- I could have sworn it's it's it that does ring a bell person. for me as well, but I'm not sure. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. He's got several alter egos because he was yeah. before yeah. he was R.E.P. Ferrari was someone else. Mm. Um, so you might be right. I've just been presuming it was the producer with Scallops Hotel, but so uh, Matt, why don't you start on this one? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this it's very excited. I'm just so excited. <laughs> no, I just had to quickly scroll where I was in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> that was my delay tactics, and it's worked very well because oh, yeah. I found exactly where I am. Yeah, no one pointing um, out or anything. No, I I thought this was a, this was a really interesting album. I um, it was a quite a dense, um, dense and like quite varied in its approach to hip hop. Um, I really really liked the beats. They were very like sample driven, um, and that and the kind of the hazy feel that the album has and the kind of non-traditional um or non-linear uh way that the songs and the album evolves really sat nicely directly after the avalanches i think Mm. i think it it continued that kind of vibe Mm. on just morphed into a slightly different genre um i'd say and I really liked the way he rapped. It was very percussive throughout. And I wasn't actually super clean on his, like, when, when it was just more regular hip-hop style, uh, style um, parts of the song. Um, I wasn't a big fan of his flow. But then some at points it would slow down or get weird or angular. And he, the way he rapped actually became much more to emphasize the beats and it sounded almost like poetry um mm. and spoken word as opposed yeah, to spoken um, word performer in the first instance i think so that's yeah yeah uh, that doesn't surprise me at all because mm. it, it really i think it really reads and um adds to the kind of the way songs uh devolve or evolve depending on 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 the song um I think the, the the big drawback for me is like like many many albums, it just kind of started to wane a little as it as it um, got towards the end. I just found myself less interested. I think that might be because there is not so much structure throughout the album as a whole. Mm. Um, but I overall, I I thought there was a lot going on and a lot of it worked. And mm. um, so I, I quite enjoyed the album. Okay, uh, I'll jump in maybe. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think um, this guy is a really fascinating writer. Um, I think he's he's so uh, clever, uh, intricate, and thoughtful. And you know, we've already both said that he's spoken word uh, sort of poet, particularly sort of beat poet in a way. Um, and that's and he's also making ruminations about what that is, what it is to do that kind of work. Uh, and I find that all really really interesting. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm glad I was introduced to me, and I'll and I'll definitely be watching him from now on. Uh, you can see that there's probably a but coming though. Um, yeah. Which is that um, the album um, it does feel sometimes like it's not actually a hip hop album, uh, and it's it's more a, a beat poet with some music behind it. Uh, it's mm. so fragmentary at points. I'm not sure it's actually as compelling as it should be. That's what kind of what Matt was saying about the end of the album, so maybe to some extent. Um, I know it's kind of jazz inspired, um, but I, and, I, and I know that's obviously quite a fragmentary genre. Uh, but it's, it feel, felt like it needed something more to hold it together some of the time. Um, 
I mean, a, a good example would be uh, of somebody who does that is I don't think it's better writing than Kendrick Lamar, um, but I think it's less musically driving than that. Or certainly, it's not. I don't think it's obviously it is, um, and therefore I, I I don't think I thought if it sort of tripped on that sometimes for me and just felt like I was really entering the mind of this very thoughtful, intelligent person uh, as they thought through, you know, lots of different ideas, but not in a sort of, not in a p enough of a musical sense. Um, so, yeah, there were lots of great high points and didn't detract from it enormously, but um, I, I do feel like I, I wasn't totally in love with it. That's where I go with with that, yeah. So, okay. so Fran? Um, interestingly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking about this album by talking about a different album. Of his, um, I the reason I picked this for the podcast is because um, on the end of last year's, you know, or the end of year lists, um, yeah. purple his previous album, which is called Purple Moonlight Pages, was was in so many people's top fifty of the year or top twenty of the year. So I, I, I spent some time listening to that towards the end of last year, and it's one of those rare albums that just I was totally taken in by it straight away. And I think it's I think that album is one of the best hip hop albums I've heard in, in quite a long time. So if you haven't listened to that one, I really recommend that you do. Really? I think I it's fantastic. No. Um it's it's really, really good. It's very strong. Um and it's it's got some similarities to this one, but for me it's it is a some of the things that you guys have both pointed out, you might find he is more consistent with on that album. Right. Um so I picked this one because I was really excited to see it. I'd literally discovered him in December last year, and this this album came out on New Year's Day. So I was very excited to see that there was another album from him so soon. Um, but I was, at first, pretty taken by how different uh, Bob's son sounded to Purple Moonlight Pages. Um, it seems to be, in, in a weird way, more expansive in, in, in one way, but also more old school. Um, I think yeah. we've had a few hip-hop albums on the podcast recently, which we've talked about as, like, harking back to... The old school of gangster rap, whereas this feels to me like a nod to the beginnings of conscious rap. We, you know, with the likes of Della Soul and a tribe called Quest. Um, so yeah, after being so into the previous one, I'm still in the middle of getting to know that album. When when I started listening to this one, it took me a while to get into this, but but I do think it's a very strong album. I think it's I think it's really complex. I think it's really quite quietly chaotic and a little over the place, but weirdly cohesive at the same time. When we talked earlier about my comment about Viagra Boys being a mess. And you said, yeah, it's meant to be a mess, Nick. Well, I think this is also meant to be a mess, but I think this works in its mess because he ties it all together with his sort of... He's so interesting that he sort of brings it all together. Um, I think the song the song Sips of Ripple Wine is a pretty good example of how this album feels as a whole. It's, it takes so many unexpected turns. It's got a really interesting flow and the lyricism is, is amazing. Um, and I also think it's a really a really well produced album. I think the instrumentation on songs like Bobby Digital's Little Wings is just so crisp and clear. Um, so I think it's a kind of fascinating mix of really chilled out but also really energized. I'm not really sure how he pulls that off. And I'm really excited about this artist. I think he's just superb. But this is quite a few levels below the quality overall of, of the previous album. But what I like about it is he's thrown like two albums out in the space of a few months that are very different, both very interesting. And both grabbed me, but like it doesn't really matter to me that the previous one was a lot better. I just think he's really interesting, and I'm, I'm quite excited by him because he's massively creative. Heard... This different personas thing we were talking about, you know, it just yeah. shows how how many different directions he's going in. In a way, yeah, it sounds like these yeah. two albums you're talking about, may, you know, indicate that as well. Yeah, you'd be able to hear a similarity, and it certainly you can tell it's the same artist. But I just think it's 
it is a very different album. I really strongly recommend listening to that one. It is it's superb. Um, but yeah, the, so I think maybe if I'd heard these two, three years apart, I wouldn't have been, I would have immediately liked Bob's son a lot more than I do. But because I heard them so close together and, and that one's clearly a lot stronger. Um, yeah, I ended up a little bit on the fence, but but very excited by him as a as an artist. Okay, uh, cool. so uh, before we get into the Hendrix, how do we feel about the playlist as a whole? Um, I'll go first and say um, I wasn't really taken with it too much. Uh, there were things that were interesting, but there was nothing on it. There were, there were individual tracks that I liked, and, and there was sort of some uh, some interesting stuff, but I wouldn't say as a list it's something I would jump back to a lot. Mm. So I'm, I'm kind of a little, it's a little bit flat for me. Yeah, I mean, for yeah. me, it was one of them that it, oh. start, it I started with things that, and I've said that a few albums, you know, I, I thought when I first listened to it, mm. the whole playlist, it was going to be other than Deep Purple, one of them that I really would think was quite high on or, you know, of the ones we've done. But in the end, it turned out I was middle on the middle of the road on a lot of the stuff. I, I like the girl I've done the R.A.P. Ferreira quite a lot. Um, but I'm, there's not, I don't love but Nothing's blown you away on this, out yeah, of these five. I don't love either of them. So, what about yeah. you, Matt? I, I really enjoyed this. I think I would often listen to the first three albums on the playlist. So that would be uh, Avalanche's R.O.P. Ferreira and Girlhood, mm. and then switch off. Mm. Um, <laughs> unless unless I wanted to listen to uh, a little bit of space trucking or something like that. <laughs> it's very but, distinctive. Right, now. Nice. You put it like that. The way it broke down to like those three albums at first, and then three sort of rock album. Yeah, well, rock artists on the second half of the album. Playlist. Yeah, and and I'd often, to be honest, I'd often actually skip and get to uh, the um, the uh, Hendrix at the end. I'd skip the two albums in between. Um, but I felt like the the first three and maybe Hendrix almost fit together nicely with it there. But although they have quite a different tone mm-hmm. at times, they also fit together. And so, uh, yeah. I, I rate it highly. It's definitely in the top third. Okay. That's not bad then. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so uh, yeah. I am going to introduce The Wild Love, which is Jimi Hendrix. Um, and uh, the first thing i say is that the playlist, if anyone is listening to it on Spotify, uh, people who are aficionados of Hendrix will know it's, that, uh, it's in a sort of a strange order. Uh, and I'm going to explain why that is in a minute. But I decided to, to make the order actually matter uh, as a kind of series of ideas rather than just in terms of chronological stuff so but i'm not going to try and capture everything and summarize everything about hendrix uh because i just feel like so much has already been said um of course he's just so such an uh, enormous uh figure in in rock music in in all kinds of popular music really um so instead i'm going to do sort of two things um i'm going to talk about what hendrix means for me personally um, and then I'm going to talk about some of the, try and push against, I suppose, some of the less fair kind of reductive cliches about Hendrix's music. Because even though um, he's, you know, very well loved uh, in many respects, uh, I think there's still things about him that, that people take in a rather two-dimensional way, which I think is, is really a pity. So, um, so I'll start with the cliches. Um, I've seen reading and hearing about Hendrix over the years, and I've been into him, by the way, since I was uh, about 15, um, so many, many, many decades. Um, but there's been p- <laughs> people arguing that he is uh, he is just rock, that he's basically like Deep Purple. Um, 
and uh, that that's kind of the limit of what he does. Is he's a rock star, a traditional rock star. Uh, and similarly, as a related note, that he's he's all sort of bravado uh, without substance. That there's a lot of uh, he's kind of so cocky, uh, particularly how sexualized a lot of the music has been. Um, I've also read things saying that he's uh, not really a songwriter, that he's more of a guitarist. Obviously, not many people dispute that he's among the greatest guitarists ever. Um, but, you know, is he also a songwriter? I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, also, the, the idea that he's kind of just a hippie, uh, just sort of mm. carefree, uh, and doesn't really have um, much, much interest in, in anything but, you know, just kind of flighty dreamscapes and stuff like that. Uh, and then the last thing is that he's, um, which I'll just touch on briefly, is that, that he's a solo artist, really, that he wasn't really much really part of a band. Uh, you know, we always talk about Hendrix. Uh, we don't talk about the Hendrix Experience or Band of Gypsies, uh, the two three-piece bands that he played in uh, in his short career, fairly short career. So all those things, are, I think, are too simple um, or, or, complete, or just wrong. Um, so I've tried to put this playlist together. Um, if anyone did listen through to it, who's listening now, um, in, in order of a few things uh, that I think really characterize the best things about him. Um, so let, I'll start with uh, the technical complexity. Uh, and this is uh, the first few songs. So Little Wing, uh, Wing Cries Mary, um, are, you know, a couple of great examples at the start of, of uh, you know, what we all know, or what m many of us know, which is his unbelievable technical uh, acumen on guitar. Um, but I wanted to point out that, with, starting with Little Wing in particular, that he's, he's not just, it's not just rock. Uh, it's very delicate in many cases. It's not all bravado. Uh, Wing Cries Mary and Little Wing was kind of a more, more kind of subtle way to introduce the, the him as a person if, you, if you're coming to him newly, which I don't think there are many people who are, but still, for those who haven't heard Henry's before, uh, I, thought, I thought that would be quite an interesting way to come into his music. And then you get Machine Gun, um, which is... Just from the technical complexity point of view, and I, I do play guitar, although I'm, I'm in no way uh, a great guitarist, but I can tell you that, in my opinion, it's got the hardest piece of guitar music uh, I have heard him play. Um, just technically, it's just unbelievably difficult, this long, uh, sort of 15, 16 minute long uh, diatribe about uh, Vietnam and, and uh, about other upheaval, political upheaval in America at the time. So it shows some political astuteness that I think is really interesting, and it also shows, uh, at the same time, this, again, this technical complexity. You'd like, there's bits in the song which sound like uh, planes swooping down, uh, kind of in a war zone. Uh, uh, this is how I read it anyway. So I think that's really interesting. Um, so yeah, and then uh, into Voodoo Child. Um, this is... Uh, a kind of radical ex extent of sort of sort of sexiness um, in in his songs uh, in in music in, at that time I think given it's still it's a period of a lot of uh, uh, obviously a lot of rebellion and opening up but I still think he pushes the limits with that to some extent. Um, so then I'll talk about experimentalism a little bit um, as well as being technically unbelievably good. Uh, he did a lot of things that were uh, very experimental. Um, and I think you can hear it in the next couple of songs I put on the playlist, which is Castles Made of Sand, uh, which is both very, very difficult to play. I, I did try and knock around with that years ago to try and play little bits of it, and it's, oh my God, so difficult to play. Mm. Um, and I certainly failed. Um, and then Are You Experienced as well, um, which is, uh, shows he had a lot of interest in uh, new sort of pedals and new recording techniques. There's kind of backwards recording and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, he's not the only person doing that. There are people like the Beatles doing some of that stuff too, but he was certainly uh, pushing things forward as far as he could uh, in lots of really interesting ways. 
Um, and then as well, this idea that he's just a rock star. Um, I think there's a lot of different genres in his music and they come through the next few songs, which is uh, pop, first of all. Uh, he, he was like a, a pop star in a way of the time, uh, you know, in a, in a way that, that a lot of pop stars we've covered on this, uh, this podcast over the years, he could be aligned to in some ways. So Crosstown Traffic, um, with its like, unbelievably catchy bass part, uh, which melded with his guitar, Hey Joe, uh, Manic Depression, uh, Love of Confusion. I'm kind of, you see I'm kind of working down the list here. These are all really amazing, uh, catchy, uh, sort of earworm-type pop songs. Um, but also then, after that, we talked about Deep Purple and, and being metal. Um, mm. He really uh, is, is an earlier, far more important and more effective precursor to metal. Um, so Spanish Castle Magic uh, and Six Was Nine, I thought, were the two great examples of how uh, sort of uh, how much aggression and heaviness he could get into uh, tracks, even though he was still in the context of being like a pop star in some respects. Um, so there's like there's really sort of hard uh, power chords and stuff. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine what it must have been like uh, to see him live with the volumes uh, that he could play at in that environment and you know, sort of really get into it that way. My dad actually did see him live. Um, but I, I never, I've never got cool. to, of course. So, yeah, no, it's been amazing. But, although apparently he turned up three hours late and mm -hmm. played for like 25 minutes and then left. Uh, so uh, yeah. I think he was not that interested in playing uh, at my dad's university <laughs> union in the <laughs> 70s and 60s or whatever. So it wasn't top of his list of venues. So um, so yeah, so Spanish Cast Magic 6 for 9 were 6 was 9 uh, are kind of indic indicative of metal. Uh, and then obviously another narrative that's been very well spoken about a lot is Voodoo Child uh, as a blues song. So he's rooted in uh, and does a lot of pop and rock, but he's rooted in blues music. And that long song Voodoo Child, um, which I put on near the end of the playlist, was was just to sh just to show um, how far he can go down that road uh, and how much he can be a representative of blues as a genre. Um, and also, it's kind of amazing uh, that he's been right next to uh, he's put that with, with Voodoo Child uh, coming up just before that. Um, and how uh, kind of interesting that com correspondence is between those two types of music at uh, different extremes, you know? So uh, I've whisked through the playlist at uh, many levels. The only song I haven't mentioned then is Boulder's Love, I think. Uh, Access Boulder's Love, um, which to me uh, is probably my favourite song of his of all. Um, and I think it holds together. The reason, one reason I love it so much is I think it holds together all these aspects I've talked about little tiny bits of all these aspects I've talked about come into that song, which may be the reason he named the album after that track. Um, but yeah, it, it's just such a, it's a beautiful song. It's delicate. It's insanely difficult to play. Uh, it's experimental. It's catchy. It's heavy at times. It has blues elements in it. So to me, it just, it just wraps it all up into this perfect sort of package. Um, so to me, that that was really the high point of of all the playlist. Um, the first album I came across actually uh, was my dad's copy of uh, Band of Gypsies. So Machine Gun was kind of the the first album, um, first big track that I got into, which was the start the start of this playlist. But uh, but Boulder's Love is where uh, when I was completely obsessed with Hendrix, listening to nothing else for for about eighteen months when I was uh, when I was a teenager. Um, Boulder's Love was the high point of all that stuff. So. Yeah, so that's my whiz through the playlist and hope it made some kind of sense because uh, I didn't do it in chronological order. Um, but yeah, I wanted to see what the two of you thought, if you're into it at all. Uh, so, Fran, why don't you go first? 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's Jimmy, isn't it? So obviously, this was in many ways an absolute an absolute pleasure to listen to this playlist. Um, and it's really nice to sit here and listen to someone who is a real, real fan of Jimmy talk about why, you know, why his music matters and, and, and why he matters. Um, I think Jimmy is in general someone that everyone admires. But if, I, if I'm being honest, I don't know many people who are into his music on more than like a surface level. Um, you know, a bit like people, people might say they like Bowie or they might say they like um Bob Marley but it's that kind of thing of you know they they know a few songs and they and they like those songs and that's fine and I I am one of those surface level fans with Jimmy um always have been there are um there are a couple of his, his songs that I would consider up there with the greatest songs of all time wow. uh, and they were both on your list I think Castles Made of Sand and Hey Joe I just fucking I think they're both incredible yeah. um I've always loved them I also personally would would put his version of Bob Dylan's all along the Watchtower, yep. pretty high as well. Yep, I think it's fucking mind blowing. Well, yeah. um, but I have always been sort of a greatest hits Jimmy man. You know, I've, I've got the greatest hits. I like the greatest hits. I've listened to it a lot. Um, and I also have this amazing LP, which I think I might have played to you once, Nick. Which is um, Jimmy's music with the Wu Tang words from. Oh, um, I don't think you have actually. Thirty six no. chambers. I don't know. Like, so <laughs> on one side, it's one side, it's Jimmy's music with the Wu Tang rapping over it, and on the other side, it's Wu Tang's music with Jimmy's singing over the top of it. It's fucking fascinating. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Wow. It is really good. Um, wow. Can't remember the name of the artist who put it together, but it is. It's fucking brilliant. Um, so yeah, it's been really, really enjoyable to spend a month listening to his music, and and I totally understand why he is so so high on a lot of people's lists. But and it is nice to hear from someone who is more than just a surface level fan. Um, that there there are things that hold him back, maybe for me from being a contender to be as as important to me. Um, and it's not a it's not a criticism of his music or him in any way. I think he's I think he's an absolute genius and absolutely amazing. But on a personal preference thing, um, I don't love music. I don't love the songs when it goes into a lot of guitar slow solos and a lot of sort of. His, he is obviously the king of guitar. He's amazing at doing it. But for me personally, it just you want some I more get structure. A bit tired of that. Yeah, I get you a little bit tired of that. Must have had a tough time with two songs on this set playlist. At least Machine Gun and Vinnie yeah. Child. Yeah, it's the longer ones when he mm. sort of, you know, and, and it's, it's I not. I did come an hour about putting them in actually, but I felt they were important to represent a couple of things I was talking about, even though yeah, I know they were long. Yeah, and I think it is, and it's not. It's not. I don't sit there listening to it thinking it's unlistenable. I mean, I don't hate it. It just it's just something that maybe holds me back a little bit from from yeah. sort of you know, if if everything was like Castles Made of Sand and Hey Joe, then he'd probably be one of my favourite artists ever. But when you know, and he is also the precursor, you know, you've you've just made a very good point about him not just being a rock star. Mm. Um and that, that is a bit of a cliche of him, but he is a precursor of rock. And he, he like we were talking about Deep Purple, he is influential to a lot of yeah. a lot of music that is, is nowhere near Jimmy's level, but w- would say they were influenced by Jimmy, and maybe I don't like that kind of music sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Jimmy also has a lot, a lot to answer for in making people think that it's okay to just noodle away on the guitar <laughs> yeah. all the time. Because like a lot, lot of bands, though, it's one of those, like, there's, there's always bands who kind of apologise, like Rage Against the Machine, yeah. I remember apologising for, for bands that came out of them, yeah. them you know. Yeah. So, uh, and they, it's those they, little things, it's, you know, it's not his fault, yeah. but there's a lot yeah. of people now who think that that is how to make interesting music because that's how yeah. Jimmy made it. But Jimmy was a, a rare talent that could do that. And like I say, that little element of his music gets a bit much for me personally sometimes. Yeah. But I think that, you're that right. I think he generated thing. a lot of people who were uh, thought the technical complexity was all that was necessary. Yeah. Uh, and, and also yeah. a lot of guitar styling that was very clean. Um, I don't yeah. mean not distorted. I mean, very 
uh, discreet, you know, every note hit perfectly. And he, he was more flowing, I think, than that and, you know, had yeah, some ability yeah. to sort of drift yeah. around parts uh, in a way. Yeah, and he could also engaging. do something else, couldn't he? He could do yeah. a song like, like you said, Castle Made of Sanders is incredibly difficult to play. Mm. But also it's a very delicate song. Mm. It's a very yeah. delicate song. Um, whereas if you think like some someone else always stands out to me as influenced by Jimmy is Slash from Guns N' Roses, right? <laughs> he wants to be him. He tries to dress like him. Yeah. He tries to play guitar like him. And they end up making this obnoxious horrible <laughs> horrible music but that's not jimmy's fault and i'm not holding it again and, yeah, and i did I'd, I'd loved listening to this playlist and i loved hearing those songs that i've not listened to for a long time but that's my one thing that holds him back maybe okay. from being one of my favorites I can, I can see where you're coming from with that yeah absolutely what do you think then matt uh i well i yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah okay would... comments are done now yeah here's your yeah. answer <laughs> Obviously, I don't think anyone could come into this with uh, nothing, no knowledge. Um, I think I'm a similar kind of fan to what Fran described. Mm. Um, I do have it had the playlist had a really nice uh, kind of uh, melancholy for me because I did have a friend who sounds like was similarly obsessed as you, Nick, and in uh, high school. And so, while all my friend, he was one of the my friends who played guitar, and so. I had several of those in bands and most of them were learning how to play Weezer and the Strokes while he was busy <laughs> playing bluesy riffs and like right. would go around and listen to Hendrix at his place. And so that was it was really nice to touch back into that because I hadn't really sat down, like occasionally I'd put on some of the classics, but I hadn't really sat down and listened to um, Hendrix in any great depth uh, since then. Um, and so it, it's... It's been really good to touch back into that. And I agree, like, I don't have, like I said, with uh, when we were talking about um, Deep Purple, I don't really have the, the history around this period um, or the knowledge. Um, and so you're getting some perspective from you um, and hearing about how um, your selection of the, the playlist mm. is, is really, really interesting. As I look back over um, it, I think one thing I didn't really do enough to, to mention was about this idea that he was not just a solo artist. In fact, I sort of cited it, but didn't really talk enough yeah. about it because um, I just wanted to make clear that, that um, the, his drummer and bass player in the Hendrix Experience and, and to some extent the Band of Gypsies were, were incredible. Um, Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell. And, and I think I know people who think that uh, Mitch Mitchell is the, the greatest drummer ever, you know, and, and he's, mm. he was kind of taking a back seat uh, to Hendrix. But on tracks like Manic Depression, uh, it's just astonishing what he can do. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. That, I didn't really, I just wanted to drop Ooh. that in there. No, no, no. I, I, I think that fits well with. Um like, so I, I think um, Voodoo Child is maybe one of the, it's in the conversation for one of the best intros to a song ever. And mm. that, mm. Um, one of the reasons is the way the drums come in. Mm. Like the the dead notes, which then give way to the wah-wah, which then gives the, the drums slowly coming in before it all crashes. Yep. That isn't just guitar solos. That's like perfect song construction. Mm. Um, and so I think that really shows like obviously it's one of his most famous songs but there's yeah. a reason yeah um, it shows his range uh, yeah, as well doesn't it i think that's true yeah you can do a structured yeah. piece or you could do something that's just all over the place yeah um but like and like like you said it's really interesting to have this with deep purple as well because it shows you the difference in yeah skill in music and like you what kept saying deep purple was so simple didn't use that word simple several times yeah into deep purple yeah yeah and it, it felt like like deep purple album was like a fucking ikea flat pack and <laughs> Jimi <laughs> Hendrix is a master craftsman. I mean, um, I, I, if I'm being honest, I actually felt that having the Deep Purple and the um, Hendrix together was a bit of an issue for me. And I think that's maybe why I stopped listening to the Deep Purple, because 
I was letting them bleed into each other a little bit with them being next to each other on the playlist and, yeah. and getting annoyed by noodling. And then I figured yeah. out if I just stop listening to Deep Purple, <laughs> then it's a, it's a total different world of yeah. music that I'm listening to. But yeah. I think for a while, at first, it was a little bit of a problem for me having them next to each other. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of accidental, so, wasn't it? But yeah. Yeah. And so the, the last thing I'd say is I, I think it's crazy that he was, I didn't realize how short a time he was around for. Mm. Um, and for him to be in conversation when we, you were talking about uh, Fran, you were talking about you're not going to hold him as high regards as, say, um, Bowie. Yeah. Um, and people don't um, generally. Um, for him to have the impact he's had and to be in conversations like that with the mm. like Beatles, and they have decades-long careers, yeah. and he was around for two, three years, is mind-boggling. And if he'd been around for decades, like, what would he have done differently? Like... <laughs> He wouldn't be noodling anymore. He'd be That's the inventing different he was, kinds of things. He was looking to build in some string sections and stuff into the work he was looking to do for the next album after Legend of Land. Uh, so he was going to kind of get more elaborate with things. But I say that, I mean, I'm, I'm nerv- I'll be nervous about it going forward because you know, so many people go off the boil if they have like 30-year careers, you know. Yeah. Uh, this is yeah, so yeah. Nice but there's the nice few that don't, off, yeah. isn't there? There's That's a few true. that don't. It would have been true. fascinating. I think when we talked about, it's making me think of when we talked about Biggie and like what might have happened if Biggie had... Mm you know, lived. And I think with Hendrix as well, I mean, it, I, you know, I've pointed out a couple of things that make me not the mass, not totally in love, but I think to see what he would have done over the years, yep. I think would have been fascinating. I think, it, I think, it, I don't think he would have been one that would have dropped off dramatically. Mm. Yeah. With the talent he had. Yeah, I can no. see that possibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's great cool. then. So there's Jimi Hendrix. Um, so I only have to say that next is our 40th episode. Um, so big celebration! We'll be doing a special episode, uh, not in the not in the same format as usual, uh, where we'll be picking our favourite stuff from the last uh, forty playlists, and we'll yeah. have the editors, uh, the other editors as well, involved in in making some of those choices. So um, we'll talk about talk about that next time. We will be um, deciding which is the which is the best ever album to feature on Picky Bastards, won't yep. we? As well, so yep, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Fran will have some insanely complicated scoring system, which he'll explain to Matt and I just before we start recording. Uh, yeah, so we can look at I mean, I maybe just won't on. even bother explaining it to you this time. It's just like... <laughs> it's probably yeah, wise. There's no point, well, is there? Yeah. I feel like you make it very complicated when all it is is just a bunch of lists <laughs> and you add them together. I don't know. I, I, I mean, find them mind-blowing, but I was never good at math, so what can I say? It's not complicated. It's just the last, the last time when we did this, when I can't remember what... The album of the year one for last time, you made it sound very simple to choose, but I was trying to do a top three and I was trying to add up for the top three, but Matt, you just basically told me to shut up and just chose a top one because that was easy to add up, but I was trying to do a top three, so you fucked it there, basically. Yeah, you ruined everything, Matt. Because they all had the same, we all picked different things, (laughs) so everything was going to have the same score. I can't do the math. It's blowing my mind. It's too complicated. We'll never know. Too complicated. All right. So it only leaves me to say, uh, please check our website, uh, pickybees.com, which is pickybees.com, and uh, the social channels as well, which Fran will need to do for me. Uh, At pickybastards on on Twitter, capital P, capital B. Um, Facebook is currently yeah. at <laughs> the Picky Bastards, yeah. but we have had a notification recently telling us that we were too sweary for Facebook. Apparently, <laughs> Facebook can can put up with all sorts of fucked up, you know, things that they they yeah. show on there, and you know, you can do whatever you want on there, but you can't say the word bastards. Yeah. So we might have to change it to Picky Bees, but at the minute it's bastards. I'm, I'm until Mark Zuckerberg rings me up <laughs> and explains it to me, I'm not going to do it. So Mark, if Fair you're enough. listening, 
Yeah, he phone. is a regular listener, I think. I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. that's true. Yeah, so. Yeah. Great, okay. Well, uh, that's that then. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Next time, Bye. folks. Bye.